0: It's a good day. Serena's home. Yeah. Allison will be home tomorrow. Yeah. Um, man, it's been rough. And, you know, I get thinking about this and I say, why would I think it was rough? I wasn't in the <laughs> hospital, you know. But it's spending, what, 67, 68 days? I think it's 68 days in ICU. Now, that would be tough. Yeah. But, she's done. but she is tough. She is tough. And Allison is a champion. A warrior, a hero. Saved somebody's life. She didn't even know him and she gave him a kidney. My god. What what kind of person would do that? Well, I know I know somebody else that gave everything for a bunch of people they didn't know. That's right. Amen. Anyway, Wednesday, um, Jordan preached, and then I I was sitting right there listening to her. Um, By the way, great job. Um, I felt like the Lord was telling me to give my testimony, and I don't like giving my testimony. I hadn't given my testimony in probably 18 years. I know I had never ever given it to the Christian Church in (laughs) Minden. Is that me or you? Me? Okay. Well, that's a good deal. We'll just take this thing off here again. If it don't work, I don't need it. I mean, how hard is that? You know, we can say we like Terry. Bray, my gosh, Terry! Every time I've got something, I went, "I don't throw that away. I'll take that home." <laughs> he, he thinks he can fix everything. Yep. Amen. But anyway, oh, <laughs> back I came. I grew up in a Baptist church, and and and. It's, when I got saved, I was a Baptist, you know, and so every Sunday they had me somewhere giving a testimony glorifying the devil all the stuff that I'd done. It was basically what it felt like, you know, and then you get to the end of it, but God, you know, and but you've preached an entire message about what kind of a terrible person that you've been the entire time, and I don't, I don't want to do that. You know, I'll I'll go over some things, but I'm not getting in detail with anybody about anything because you know what? That guy's dead. That guy's gone. But I was a. How many of y'all know what a breech birth is? I was a breech birth baby, and my mother said I've been showing my butt ever since. <laughs> And, uh, but I was a terrible kid. I got, I got this paddle at the house and that a store owner, when I was grown, a store owner gave me in Castor. And it was called the Paul Paddle. There was three stores in Castor, Louisiana at the time. Every store... Had permission to whip me for any reason whatsoever, <laughs> and all of them had a paw paddle. I, I wish Ginger was here this morning. I hope she, could, she would she would verify all what I'm telling you is true. But uh, I was an awful kid. <laughs> I mean, it, my mother told me so many times. She said, "I hope you have ten just like you." You know, y'all heard that one, yeah. Well, (laughs) my brother and my sister are much older than me, Um, so I was more like an only child. And you gotta understand, I come from an extremely successful sibling group. Uh, You know, every all of my siblings are very, very successful. And we all got there on different routes, mine being the bumpiest of all. But when you're told, when you're a kid, why can't you be more like your brother? It just does something to you. My brother was Mr. Everything, you know. Me, I couldn't do nothing but play baseball. That's it. But, you know, I mean, my dad saw that, and he groomed that, and he, you know, I'm telling you what... We, me, and my brother, and my sister, we had some pretty good parents to be all be successful people in life. You know, it's just, it, it goes down to it comes down to what you were taught, what you saw. You know, you can be told to do something all the time, but when you see it day after day after day, it never ends. It never stops. You see how you're supposed to live, even whether you like it or not. You know that's the way it's supposed to be. And I didn't want it to be like that. I wanted to live to be 70 years old, get saved, and die. That was my life plan. I'm not lying. And it it came kind of from when I was a little bitty guy, I heard somebody said they surrendered their life to the Lord. I said, well, I ain't surrendering ever to nothing. I'm not going to stop. I'm. I don't care what to. I'm not going to surrender. And and my whole life I grew up. I hated preachers. I hated them. I hated to go to church. I had my first beer at nine years old, and I was hooked. Loved it. I mean, there's nothing better than cold beer and crawfish. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was just the way that... And so, why would I want to give up beer? You know, I mean, no, I'm, I'm just taking one little thing for it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff we could insert here. But, you know, why would I surrender beer? Why would I... You know, I mean, it was... It was I just did not understand the concept, I guess, whatever. But we lived... I lived in a very small town... And we recycled preachers at our church. Oh, we've prayed and God believes that this is the man that's going to lead us. And, and 18 months later, they're saying the same thing about a different guy. Just the way there was. Hey, how many of y'all know this that to be a fact? Without mentioning a denomination in particular, how many of y'all know of about 8 or 10, 12 Pastors that have pastored within a hundred mile area of right here all their life. And they've never been in the same place more than two years. Anybody? Everybody. So it was like there were preachers. They weren't pastors because they were hirelings. So therefore they weren't pastors. They were just preachers. And I just got upset with them because I just just thought they didn't have any backbone. You know, I mean, I'd, that's one thing I wasn't short of is foolishness and hardheadedness and jumping in where I didn't need to jump in. You know, and that's, that's that's the way that it was for me. But at seventeen years old, I'll never forget this day. Never, 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 never forget this day. At seventeen years old, March the sixth, my birthday, I made a decision that I was going to live. A life of adventure until the day that I died. Whether the adventure killed me or whether the adventure didn't, I was going to live a life of adventure. I mean, I was scuba diving, I was skydiving. Uh, when when I lived up north, I I was mountain climbing. I'd rappel. You know what rappelling is? It's when you back back up off of off of rock and just you just boom boom boom. Well, I wanted to take it a step closer, a little step further, I should say. So I learned how to do what's called an Austrian rappel. Y'all know what that is? No. Austrian rappel is where you put the rope on the front instead of on the back. Put it on the front, and then you lean out over the rock forward, and you run down the mountain. I loved it. Loved it. It was so much fun. It was. It was adventure. It was fun. It was. You know. I mean, I, who else ever would you know? I didn't care. I didn't care. I just didn't. Because I was going to make it to 70, hopefully, and then I was going to... All right, I'll get saved. I'll get saved. Has anybody ever had these stupid thoughts before? You don't raise your hand, just, you know, kind of... <laughs> yeah. honesty, yeah. You know, but... Um... That's just the way that I believed. I, I, I didn't want, I wanted to go to heaven, but I didn't want to pay a price to get there. And I thought there was a price to pay in giving up what I wanted to do. Little did I know that once I got saved, all of that would change and I would be happier. And let me tell you something. I've lived more of a life of adventure as a Christian than I've ever lived as a lost person. I was all about the dollar, you know, I mean, I checked our, I, I, I fooled our, our, we had a principal that wasn't very bright, but I convinced her that we were having a fall festival, this is just, this is funny, a senior year, we had called a fall festival and so the seniors were going to do a dunking booth. But the Dunkin' Booth was in another town about 10 miles away called Ringgold <laughs> at the B. Parish Fairgrounds. And so I convinced the principal, I said, I, I got to go get that, we need to go get that Dunkin' Booth. I said, uh, um, we've got a trailer, we'll run over and get it. She said, well, um, how many people are you going to take? I said, I just, it, it's pretty heavy. I want to need a few people. She said, all right, well. Make sure nobody gets hurt. I checked out the entire senior class, and we went and got beer and got drunk at the BMW Parish Fairground. (laughs) That's just the kind of stuff that I did. And I didn't even get suspended because there was too many people involved. Yeah, I mean, I did stuff like that constantly. You know, I mean, college is a total blur. I couldn't tell you very much about my college day because, like I said, there wasn't anything I wouldn't try. The only thing I wouldn't try is IV drugs. But I smoked this room full of weed. <laughs> Cocaine, acid, you know, whatever, you know. But I wouldn't stick anything in and then I dropped out of college, and I went home, and my mom said, "You can't stay here unless you're in college." So what I do? I join the Navy. Well, there won't be no dropping acid and snorting coke there, because the duty station I got was in Washington D.C., and I got. White House clearance to travel with, be part of the honor guard for the president. So I traveled with President Reagan for three years and met, met some great people. I was, you know, I mean, I was still a full blown alcoholic, but I was a high functioning one as well. At the Navy, I, I, um, oh Lord, I went to went to work for the largest pipeline company in the world. I was there for three years. See, everything that I did when I was lost, I was successful at. It was not hard to get to the top of your game. I worked for the largest pipeline company in the world and I went from being a day laborer to being the Chief pipeline inspector for four states. I um, I was by the time I was 24, I was on the board of directors of four different companies. I knew how to make money. I knew how to see. The Texas Eastern did a video about me for employees to to watch. I mean, it was it was crazy. I was extremely successful. But I, I was also an alcoholic. I was just, I was. And it, there was, you know, and I liked it. So, you know, sometimes you can't deliver people out of something that they don't, you know what? They like it. Uh, give me a reason to change. I got piles of money in the bank. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm up here, and it just, as far as success goes in life, why should I give something like that up? It's done me good per, so far come on now y'all know what I'm talking about there's things that you want that you want to give up but there's things that you won't give up because they're too much fun hey if I can make X amount if I can make good money it ain't hurting me See, that's what I rule my life by, was the success. Why? Because I dealt with rejection my entire life. I've never, ever publicly told this story. But, you know, when you're growing up and and you're constantly being told, why can't you be more like your brother? And, and, you know, when, when Ginger and I, Told my mom and dad, we drove to their house and told them we were going to get married. My mom looked at Ginger. She said, honey, I know you're a sweet girl, but my son will corrupt you. You're making the biggest mistake of your life. That was my mom. You know, when you deal with that type of rejection, something else, it just seems to me that when you deal with something that, you know, that rejection means not accepted, that made me the most loyal person you could ever be around. Because I would never do that to anybody. You know what I'm talking about? For every action, there's a reaction. For rejection, I took loyalty. you heard Rob Carman stand right here he and that's the most loyal man I've ever known. And it's true. And I'll stay with you through thick and thin until you tell me, I don't want your help. I want you away from me. I mean, my brother and sister both had graduated from college by the time I was in high school, began high school. They were already graduated from college, so they're quite a bit older, and they're a lot closer to each other than they are to me, and that's understandable, right? Yeah. But when you look on Facebook and you see a family reunion, and your whole and you, and, and me and Ginger and and my kids are sitting at the house, what does that do? I know that they live closer, but it's still a five-hour drive from one to the other. But they're they're, they're together a lot, you know, and. You know, my, my, my children have not seen their nieces and nephews. Some of them. Why? Because they would. Re- I'll put it to you like this, and now I'll leave it. I'll leave it alone. Okay, I'll leave it alone after this. And this ought to tell you. A few years ago, my brother and sister decided they were going to go to the Holy Land. They took a family vacation to the Holy Land without inviting their brother, who is a pastor. <laughs> if that doesn't—if that doesn't slap you in the mouth as rejection. I dealt with that my entire. I mean, I'm I'm over it, but I mean, you can be delivered from it. I have been, but but <clears throat> doesn't mean I like to talk about it. <laughs> but when you deal with that level of rejection. It's just something's got to happen. You know, people don't just wake up and say, you know what, I want to be a drug addict. For no reason. There's a reason for everybody's issues that they have in life. It may not be exactly what you think, but it may be just their, their mindset, their, their thought. I know my brother and sister love me just like I love them. They're good people. You know, I mean, but I basically grew up as the only child. You know, they were that much older than me, but but uh, it's it's my sister graduated from high school at sixteen. She had a cheerleading scholarship to Northwestern. She was sixteen years old as an as a or for seventeen, I can't remember. I think it was sixteen, you know. Um, She's on a cheerleading scholarship to Northwestern. I was like thinking about it now. I said, "That's two years older than Izzy. You ain't no way in the world I'm sending Izzy to college, (laughs) especially as a college cheerleader." You know, you know. But but my my point is this: they were both very successful, very, very successful, and they're they're wonderful people. But and I don't have any ill will towards them or anything like that it's just i want you to understand what you can be delivered from and this is the most important thing that 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 was with me was rejection was that was you know i could never make my mother happy ever until later in life you know later in life she she loved me she was she always loved me but she treated me better um And Ginger was her rock. So, you know, it all works out. It all works out. But I was my dad's favorite. (laughs) (laughs) I left Pipeline. I left left business to, to train dogs, believe it or not. Who does something that stupid? I made a lot more money training dogs than I did Doing the, almost anything else, um, won a national that many times. You know, we were we had a program. My dad helped me. To, you know, I'd go, I'd be, I'd be running field trials on the weekends, and he'd he'd stay home and take care of the dogs, and he, you know, and just the, the ones that didn't that weren't good enough to go. And uh, then I got to the point where I grew, business grew, and I had trainers that that worked for me and everything. But but when my dad died. I just didn't want to do it anymore. What was there to prove? Well, I've been to the top. I've trained more champions than anybody that in history. I'm sure that record's been broken by now, but by that time it had, hadn't been. Um, you know, I it was a successful person. But let me tell you what, that lifestyle of living on the road, tough. It's tough, real tough. So anyway, I just I got out of it. I had gone as far as I could go, you know. I mean, I, I couldn't get any better. And um, so I went to, a wor- to work buying land, timber, and minerals. And I worked for a man. Actually, I'm not going to say his name. Most of you would know him, but well, a lot of you wouldn't. But um, I was the only person that he had that he worked that worked for him that had a checkbook. Me and him, period. And um, I mean, I found favor. I worked hard. I did did what I was supposed to do. But I wasn't at seventy yet. I wasn't ready to quit doing my thing. Wasn't ready to do it. We had, um, at the little Baptist church that we went to in Castor, First Baptist Church of Castor, Louisiana. That's where I grew up. I was on the cradle rolls there, they say. I don't know. Um, but um, they had a revival there. And, of course, I, it, the World Series was going on, so I ain't no way I'm going to church. But was, I'm definitely not going to a stinking revival. That ain't not going to happen. And so... I, um, on Sunday night service, I wasn't there, I don't, I don't know, they said, bring, go home, call people, or go to their house, and tell them, you know, that you really want them to come with you tomorrow night to Revival. I had like 50 phone calls. It was like a traffic jam out my driveway, back up the road, (laughs) you know. No, seriously, a lot of people called me, and some people came to the house that night. I'm going, hey, the World Series, I'm not listening to you. I don't want to talk to you. I'm watching the World Series. And I would just ignore them. I mean, that's just the way it was. And then after the World Series was over with Ginger, Ginger, um, who had been praying for me for, shoot, at least, I think it's closer to 17. But 15, 17 years, something like that. Um, I was wrong with memory, 36 years, not 37. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, I'd, I wouldn't go. So Ginger said... Well, what I want you to do is I want you to go there and meet this guy. Well, I get down there, and there's a bus in the parking lot. Somebody's working on it. And this guy says, hey, you the mechanic to work on my bus? I said, no, I'm not. And he said, well, my name's Jack Daniels. That's his name. And, um, and uh, me and him start talking, and I said, uh, we went inside. It was hot. So we went inside this fellowship hall, and um, he pulls out Matthew 7. It says, Many, I think it's 21, 22. Many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, have we not prophesied? Have we not cast out devils? And he'll say, I never knew you. I asked man. He said, that's you. He says, you've been playing church your whole life. He said, I've never met this guy. He said, you've been playing church your whole life. He said, you, you're, trying to, you're trying to just wait as long as you can before you relent. He said, but I'm here to tell you one thing. You're a liar. I don't know if y'all realize it or not, but I normally wouldn't give somebody a pass on that. <laughs> Even today, you know, I mean, I like, <laughs> I've told people before, they, they kept on and kept on and kept on and said, I'm about that saved right now, so you better, you better, watch, your, better watch your ways. No, but um, when he said that, I went to stand up, and when I did, it felt like something hit me in the back of my head right here and all the way through me, and I fell face first on the floor just like that one. I was out for 45 minutes. I don't know what happened. But when I got up off that floor, I was something different than I was when I hit it. And, I mean, they've, this is a Baptist evangelist and a pastor, and I'm laid out on the floor. They're thinking about calling 911, and, you know, they had never known anything, to, seen anything like that, and, honestly neither did I I mean you know to be honest um, and I got in my truck and I said, all right God, all right, you saved me, don't you hold back on me and I won't hold back on you. And I know that that's stupid to, 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 to make a comment like that it makes no sense whatsoever that you're going to tell God the terms of your salvation. And then later on, I read that, that, that uh, scripture that says, uh, uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I said, well, I don't guess I didn't do it right. You know, I, mean, I didn't know anything. I mean, I, I knew the word. I, I knew the word, but, but I just hadn't lived the word. Come on. How many people you know in that business? You don't, you don't get to heaven by what you know. You get to heaven by who you know. But anyway, I just I just said, I said, don't hold back on me, and I won't hold back on you. And that happened at about 10.30 in the morning. At 5.30, I woke up driving down the road south of Tyler, Texas. I don't remember what happened from 10.30 to, till then. I didn't know where I was, didn't know what state I was in, other than a state of confusion. And so I went. I just started driving north, and I noticed a, notice that a t- sign that said, Tyler, this is what. So I went up. I got an I-20. I drove back. Well, I get back, and, you know, everybody's expecting me at this revival. And I hadn't told anybody because I'd been out. And so I didn't want to go in the front door, so I slid in the side door, and I just sat down. When I went to sit down on the floor, the evangelist gave me the microphone and said, you're supposed to be doing this. Tell, tell people what God did for you. Well, I just started talking, and I really couldn't tell you anything I said, but 63 people got saved right then. Within 12 hours. And... Um, from that point on, man, I was the best stinking sheep in the flock. You hear me? I had, I had talked bad about every preacher there ever was because I didn't know a good one, except the one that I had then. And I think that the reason is is because then I understood him. I understood better. Just you put yourself in in a position of something you don't like, try doing it just to see what struggle is. Yeah, I yeah. only knew one good pastor my whole life at that point, and he was a guy in front of him named Ronnie Osborne, pastors pastors at Heflin Baptist Church. That's the only good pastor I ever met up to that point in my life. I mean... I can say that now because all the ones when I was a kid growing up were dead. So, but I got, I didn't know a lot, but I got a revelation on two scriptures. First of Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no, longer I, I, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Where is it at? Is Galatians 2.20 back there, please? There it is. I want to make sure I'm right here. Yeah, I am. I've been crucified because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in flesh, blah, 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 blah. I just realized if I was crucified with him, I was resurrected with him. And I don't have to live a crucified life. I got that. That's the first revelation I ever got. Bam! I don't have to live a crucified life. I can live a life of adventure. I can live the funnest life I've ever had. Because you know what? I was crucified with him, but I was resurrected with him, so I'm more powerful now. I've got my, 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 my arms are longer. I can reach further. I can go farther. I can go higher. I got that. I got that immediately when I was saved. Another one I got was uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have been passed away. Another thing, old things are dead. People don't read it like that, but that's the way I read it. Passed away means dead. My old life is dead. I am totally new. And because of that, all things have become new. My mindset, my attitude, my, uh, everything about me was new. There was nothing about me that was old and dead. I was alive. Alive. And I shouldn't have been, but I was alive for the first time in my life. I was alive. I'd been running around in a dead body doing dead things and didn't know it. I was holding on to something that was dead and giving up life and thinking I was right. I got all that. I'm a new creature. I was crucified, been resurrected, and now everything is new. And God can't remember anything I did. That was the best part about it to me. Because I don't even throwing that stuff up at me later on. That's why there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And after that, man, things started changing quick. I've never in my life experienced anything as fast as, as you know, I mean, I was I was determined. I was determined I would not be a religious person. And y'all know that I'm not religious. I didn't want to be a religious person. I wanted to be a Jesus person, period. That's all I wanted to be. And that night after I got saved that morning... I'm in my kitchen and these people, friends of ours. I didn't know that much about them. Turned out to be they weren't very good friends, but um, I'm crying, sitting getting in the chair crying. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm like just blubbering pansy, you know. I'm just, Boo-hoo! you know, I mean, because I just. I said, I don't want to preach. I hate preachers. I'll never go into ministry. Just let me be a good sheep. And I looked at this lady and I said, you'll never have another migraine headache as long as you live. And I didn't know that she'd struggled with them. Well, y'all have heard this story. You know, that was my first experience with with the gift of the Spirit, you know, other than praying in tongues, driving down the road and then blacking out or something waking up Tyler but uh, but I told her that and then right after I got saved Philip Baker yeah. said hey we're having this conference I want you to come it's in Columbus Texas it was a kids camp and uh, man everybody was there oh Copeland was there, Jerry Savile was there, Mike Murdoch, and uh, Rob Carmen. And they put me on the front row sitting where the speakers sit. Philip made sure that I got right up around all those guys, and uh, they were spoon feeding me. Just gospel, word, 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 word. But when I heard Rob, it was ain't easy. That's the first man, probably the only man, that I can look at and say, I'd follow him through hell. Anyway... So after I heard him give me some. <laughs> so <clears throat> So anyway I went up to him and said Hey I want to go on a mission trip with you and never met him, didn't even introduce myself. That's just, just so what I said. He said, "Okay." I said I'm going to Papua New Guinea in a couple of months. So, how much is it going to cost? He said about three thousand dollars. You got? I said, "Oh yeah." Didn't have a dime of it. <laughs> but by the time I drove from Columbus, Texas, to Castor, Louisiana, I had every bit of it. Isn't that strange? How does God give you three thousand dollars driving down the street? I had a guy call me and say, "Hey man." Um, I forgot about it, to be honest with you. He said, that money I owed you, he said, can you swing by here and get it? And I said, sure, I'll be there in a couple hours, you know. And then another guy called me up and said, hey, man, I've been praying, and for some reason God told me I need to give you X amount of dollars. And before I got home, I had the money. So sometimes all God's looking for is a Yes. He you ain't know, asking you, you know, it's too hot over there. You know, there's danger over there. You know, they're killing people over there. None of that stuff matters to me. None of it. You know why? Because of what that guy put in me. Anyway, so we get on a plane in Dallas and fly, fly to LAX. And I'm sitting next to him, and I'm bugging the crap out of him. I mean, I'm bugging him so bad that when he gets to L.A., he goes to the Qantas or American, whichever one you call it. Qantas going to Australia. The um, Qantas ticket desk, and has his ticket changed so he does not have to sit anywhere close to me. <laughs> true, true, true story. But. On this trip, God told him he had to pastor me and two other guys, and that one of us would fall away. And it's all come to pass, every bit of it. And um, but anyway, they, after that, I started traveling with him. I was a from from the time I was saved till the time I was a senior pastor was thirteen months. I was totally lost, totally lost. But the church kept filling up and kept filling up and kept filling up and kept filling up. The, the state of Louisiana made them build a bigger park, parking lot because I was a Holy Ghost-filled, fired-up, world-traveling guy preaching in a Baptist church. they never heard the stuff that I was preaching, you know. And so it just it just, it it just exploded. It went through the roof. I mean, it was crazy. We were having to do two services out there. It was just nuts. And the original members there hated me. I mean, hated. They didn't dislike me. They hated me because I broke up their little thing. But they couldn't vote me out because so many new people had come in. They couldn't get. They, they couldn't vote me out. And. um... They all—they're good people. I just—you know—people that have different opinions don't make them bad, bad people. You know, don't just because somebody doesn't believe the way you do don't make them bad. You know, but at that point in time, I, that's what I believed. Idiot, 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 idiot. You know, I mean, it was just, and and <laughs> that's just the way that I felt. You know, I mean. I'm not having church the way I grew up having church. That ain't going to happen. Well, you know, this church has been here since the Civil War. I said, he'll be here till the next one with about eight or ten people in it. You know, I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy. I, didn't, I don't want to have church the way that I grew up having church because I was in church my entire life and not once, not once did the anointing of the Holy Ghost convict me to the point where I fell on, fell on my face when I was 37 years old. Not one. And so, the way that I did things and the way that they did things were different so I ended up getting resigned. And... Yeah, I just fought all I could. I just, I just I got sick of fighting. I was sick of it. I was in London, England, at a cell phone store, and I called the head deacon and resigned from London, England, and I went on to Africa. From there, went to the Congo and Tanzania and Kenya, and. um Come back and had knew I didn't have a job, knew I didn't have a church. I didn't know what was going on, but Joe LeBlanc. You know, it's just not a food bank. It was actually a person. <laughs> so Joe, when I get back, Joe had in a friend of ours' uh, garage had put up about twelve or fifteen chairs on a Sunday morning, and I, that's where I was, preached that Sunday. We had about a dozen people there, counting. And 100, yeah, it was hot. And, I mean, it was in a metal building. It was hot. It was August. Man, it was hot. And, um, anyway, we weren't in there for about a month before we moved over to uh, downtown. But during this process, I got introduced to T.L. Osborne, who is, in my opinion, one of the heroes of the faith. and, And... I went with him to Ghana and Togo and I was several places, but anyway, in Ghana, he told me, he said, "Um, without miracles, you might as well go worship Buddha. He said, miracles are proof that Jesus is alive, and if you don't see Miracles happening. He ain't there. He's in the life-changing business. And that man impacted me. I mean, three guys, three men that changed my life. My dad, Rob, and T.L. Changed my life. I mean, it was... He taught me how to deal with mass, with masses of people and how to pray and how to target. and how to, It's just so much to it that people don't understand. But you stand up inside of a soccer stadium full of people and half of them never heard the name of Jesus, man. You see crazy stuff happen. I mean, it's amazing. And to be a part of that, be able to witness that and then eventually doing that it changed it just, everything's changed for me it's just mm. but anyway anything I ever did I did it as good as I possibly could whether I was saved or whether I was, I was not it didn't matter spirit of addiction gone then fight it. So we started Christian Church in Minden, had been had been gone, and we grew pretty quick. Actually, we're, you know, it's, it was pretty successful. Y'all know the story, y'all know all the stories about CCAM, but anyway, the thing that fuels me, really fuels me, is... Um, Going to other countries, immersing myself in their culture, and it's like preaching to sixth graders. Everything's got to be that simple, and I love it because it's just—it's just, it's, ch- its truly childlike faith, and that's where you—that's where you see all the miracles happening. When we, we get so educated, we get the paralysis of analysis. And uh, instead of just accepting things the way a kid would, you know. But anyway, so anyway, I, I, I got I to gotta, I gotta stop. But all the stuff that we're, we would have been doing, you know, Generation House, the food bank, my gosh, it's, it's crazy. All because of a man named Jack Daniels that was bold enough to call me a liar. And live to tell about it. And because um, when I got up, I was getting up to hurt the man. And that's when <laughs> it hit me. But it changed my life. The guy that fell on that floor is a totally different, dead, gone person than they got off that floor. I was a new creation. I was a new creature. I was a righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I was more than a conqueror. I was a warrior. I was a hero. I was a champion. I was. I mean. I mean. I got. I mean. I took off. I mean. I took off, and I'm not gonna slow down. I mean, I know Steve's like feels like I have because I've been, you know, crap, I broke my leg twice in six months. You know, <laughs> but you know I'm never gonna stop. I'll never give up. I'll never ever ever. Quit! I can sit here, here and we're fixing to start a new new project, base camp, training missionaries to go all over the world from right here in Minden, Louisiana. Let me tell you something: if somebody, if if a kid from Castor, Louisiana. That hated church. I used to. I used to smoke weed before church service so I could get through it. I'm not lying. I mean, there, there is nothing that I wouldn't do. Nothing, but I, I hated church. So I, you know, back then, now I am the church. That's what we are. Individuals. Your body's a temple of Holy Ghost. That's where that's where God, that's where Jesus lives. Yep. He don't live in this room. He lives in you and me. But after hearing all after hearing all that you've heard about me, I hope you will show me some grace. Um, I don't think I glorify the devil today at all. And that's what bothers me about a lot of testimonies. They, they could tell their whole story and then, but God. And then they said, I don't want to sit up here and glorify the devil and not talk about Jesus who overcame. You know, your testimony is not supposed to be that way. Your testimony is supposed to give glory to God. And, and you only know how, to, how I know that. Because Romans, I'm, I'm sorry, Revelation says they overcame they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And I should have done this a long time ago. I mean, but there's so much more to it. But the thing is this: I have yet to give my testimony where somebody didn't get saved ever. And there's somebody here, if not one more, that needs to know Jesus, the real Jesus, not the church Jesus. I'm talking about the real Jesus, the kind of Jesus that will knock you on the floor. And when you get up, you'll be a different person. And Jesus will never look back. He doesn't, he doesn't see what you did. He sees what you're doing. What I said five minutes ago, he's already forgot about. Do you all understand that? He's cast my sins in the past and the future as far as the east is from the west. I mean, Ginger prayed for me for years and years and years and years and years. And, years, and it just, the result is... A hospital in Papua New Guinea. Churches all over Mexico. Churches all over Africa. Building the largest church in Eastern Europe right now. That's what we're doing. All because of the anointing of the Holy Spirit with one word that broke that yoke of bondage over my life. It wasn't John 3.16. Not, not, that, not that that's bad. Don't get me wrong. It's just... I think that the, it's John 3.16, I, I, can you give me five minutes? All right. John 3.16 has been so watered down because it's so powerful that the world has watered it down and made it something that you see every time a, a, a football is kicked through the goalpost. What do you see? John 3.16. You see everywhere. Most people have no idea what that is. And the people that are doing it are good people. Don't give me wrong. They're trying to reach somebody. And and, and, and hopefully they do. But it's kind of like that's the world's word. Does that make any sense? My word is that God so loved the world he made him a missionary. That's my word. He only had one son and he gave him for me. But you know what? According to Galatians 2.20, I was he wasn't up there on that cross alone. I was up there with him. If you believe what the word says, if not me, all that I was going to do was on him. With no penalty to me. That's amazing. Stand, stand to your feet. Let's, let's get this over again. Y'all can tell I don't like doing this, right? But I also hear hear from Jesus, you know. I hear from God. And that's what he told me. Well, what I want you to do is bow, bow your head, close your eyes, and listen. Just listen to me. If you are unsure... Of where would you be if you died right now? Just, just lift your hand up. If you're unsure. If there's any question. Okay. Amen. Now, how many of y'all have ever dealt with insecurity? Rejection? I'm telling you, I got that rejection thing on me. So hard. There's an anointing up here to get fixed. How many of y'all have dealt with insecurity or, or rejection? Just raise your hand. Yeah. Yeah. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I thank you so much for this day, Father, for these people, Father. Father, I just want you to let them know that you are a winner. And they're a winner because you created them in your image, in your likeness, and they're not losers, they're not less than that they are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, they're more than conquerors, Father, that they are they are the best that you've got, or you wouldn't have put them here. Father, just let them know give them give them a sense of security that they don't listen to what the world says, that they listen to what you say, that they don't try to please their people, they try to please their God. And, Father, for those that keep looking back at what they did, Father, I ask you to deliver them from it. Nothing can stop you more than holding on to your past. There's a world out there that needs you. You're lost and dying, sick and hurting people that need a word from you. God, just let them realize that. Just, God, let them realize that, Father. I love you. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.